Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is John, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today, which is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the, God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to be with you again. Can you believe it? This is the 34th time that we have worshipped together on Sunday online. 34th time. Amazing. Who would have thought that we would still be doing this at this time? And who knows how much longer we will, though our goal is on, uh, in January that we will hopefully be able to begin meeting together in person. But we will see how things go. You know, sometimes a wife may think, does my husband love me? A child may measure love by how many things they get or like the clothing that they, their parents buy for them or if they get the latest iPhone or money. And sometimes people will think that they are in love because they're sexually intimate with one another. Well, the, you know, the fact is that we all want somebody to love us, definitely. And, but the kind of love that we're looking for is based and it's different for each of us because it's based on what our experience of love has been or our idea of love, um, what that is for each of us. And so that we bring that into every relationship. And this is because we have this unique experience, or I should say lack of experience, of love in our lives. Why do women who are in or were in an abusive relationship uh, often, commonly, go and find another man and hook up with them that tends to also abuse them. 
why is this pattern? Well, it's based partly on the experience and their idea of what love looks like. And they may fall into that same pattern again. And we have all experienced what we define as love. But what is love truly, according to God's definition? Through our, the text that John read for us uh, today, we are once again given this command to love one another. How can we love one another based on our own definition or our own experience of love? Well, we cannot, and we should not try to do that. In order to follow this command the Lord gives us to love one another, we need to understand His definition of love. What is love? Well, the world says, I will love you if you do something for me. I, or I love you because you are a great student or a great singer or a good football player or you're super handsome or very lovely uh, and beautiful. We are made to believe that we can earn love, the love of others with our looks or our talents or our successes or our financial security. But in reality, this is not real love according to the scriptures. The world's definition is that love is a strong affection or feeling based on looks, talents, successes, or the affection we receive back or first. And if we accept the world's definition of love, then we may find ourselves thinking in one of the following ways. You know, I need to get straight A's for my parents to really love me. Or I put a lot of overtime into my work work all the time, and so therefore my employer should really love and appreciate me. Or if I wear nice things, I look nice, and my hair's nice, and I work hard at working out and keeping in good shape so my body looks nice, then someone will love me. You know, the world's love is based on what is deserved, what is earned, or what is received. But this is not God's definition of love. Let's look at what we can learn from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the first two verses of our text. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This word for love in the original writings of the New Testament, which was Greek, is the word agape. And this word was not used much in classical Greek uh, up until the New Testament writings. Now, agape is the most common New Testament word used for love. Uh, it is a self-giving love that is not deserved. It is love that seeks to give. Amy Carmichael, uh, a missionary to India in the past, described this love as she wrote, and I quote, One can give without loving but one cannot love without giving. This kind of love, agape love, seeks the highest good in the one loved, even when they do not deserve it. Jesus brought up this aspect of love in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, when he said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
And then also in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, he, Jesus commanded his followers saying, I quote, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. The love that comes from God is a love that is given to people, even to the people that do not deserve it. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, then we have a description of what this love from God looks like. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. True love is from God, and He defined His love by what He did by sending His Son, Jesus. God demonstrated this self-giving love in two ways. First, He sent His Son, Jesus, to become a man and demonstrate love. Second, He gave up His Son, Jesus, as the propitiation for our sins. We, the people of the world, do not deserve the love of God that He has for us. Remember when we were born and we were growing up as young children. Did we naturally love God? No, we only thought of ourselves and what we wanted. We thought of ourselves and rejected God through our sin against Him, breaking His laws. We lie and we cheat, we selfish, want things for ourselves. Um, we did not love God, but He still loved us. And that is why love, real love, only comes from God to us in Jesus Christ, His Son. True self-sacrificing agape love starts with God and then comes to us through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The love of God is not a natural thing. It is supernatural because it is from God. Did we do anything to deserve God's love? No, we didn't do a thing. Matter of fact, what we each deserve is to spend eternity in hell apart from God because of the sinfulness and the sins we have committed against Him. But God in His great love for you and for me and all the people in this world, He sent Jesus His Son to die in our place, to take on Himself the punishment that we deserve because of our sinful rebellion. Propitiation means a sacrifice that satisfies the punishment that our sins deserve and therefore reconciles us with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So now, if we follow Jesus, we are given eternal life in God Himself. And it starts right now. We accept this love when we admit we are in need of God's gift of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And we believe then in our hearts and commit to Him as Lord of our lives. And when we do this, God gives us eternal life. And then His love manifests and dwells within us and flows through us to others. This kind of love is not natural to us, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, when someone does evil to us and hurts us, 
We want revenge. That's the natural sinful revenge, uh, act on our part. We want to hurt them like they hurt us. If someone hit me in the face, my first reaction is I want to hit them back. Um, when someone criticizes us, we want to criticize them back. That's the, the natural response uh, that we each carry within us because of our sinful nature. So we can see that there are obstacles to us loving God and also loving others. And uh, there are many obstacles to our love for God and one another. And our text brings up three of these obstacles. The first obstacle that prevents our love for God and for one another is insecurity. And this is when we feel like we must earn God's love. Or we serve God, you know, we think we're serving Him faithfully, but then in reality, we're doing that thinking, God then owes me something for my labor for Him. And when we live like this, we live with insecurity. And this also applies to our love for one another if we approach each other this way. For example, there's the story of when a mother found under her plate one morning at breakfast a bill uh, written up by her small son, who was eight years old, named Bradley. And the, the, the note said this, Mother owes Bradley for running errands, $5. For being good, $2. For taking music lessons, $1.50. For extras, 50 cents. Total, $9. And as the mother read this note, she smiled. She didn't say anything. And at lunch, then Bradley found under his plate uh, a similar, uh, well, he found $9 of cash. And then he found another folded up piece of paper and a note similar to his. So he unfolded it and he read, Bradley owes mother for nursing him through sickness, nothing. For being good to him, nothing. For clothing and shoes and playthings, nothing. For his playroom, nothing. For his meals, nothing. Total nothing. See, this is an image of the love God has for us because God's love comes to us at no cost to us. But he paid the cost through his son, Jesus Christ to demonstrate that love to us. We can have, therefore, confidence in God's love for us. And we can rest in that knowledge of knowing God's love for us does not, we can't earn it. We can't deserve it, you know. And, and so we can rest in that. We see this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. You know, one ingredient to truly loving one another is that we have confidence and rely in the love that God has for us. And this may seem basic, but it is not basic. We who follow Jesus know God loves us. This is what we've heard uh, over and over again. But many times we do not have the confidence in this truth. 
that God's love is a gift to us that we just need to receive. We can't earn it. We don't have to work for it. If, if this were true, that we could rely and have confidence always in God's love, we, would, we wouldn't get discouraged so easily. We wouldn't uh, despair in life at times. Because discouragement is a loss of courage and despair is a loss of hope for the future. But God's love for us gives us both ongoing courage to proceed and ongoing hope for what is ahead. Don't you ever wonder why the team with home court advantage has, uh, has the advantage of playing better in the games? You know, the, the teams always strive for home court advantage. Because they, they, everybody knows that is an advantage. But why? Well, it's because uh, of the support of the cheering fans that, that raises the level of play. It gives more confidence to the home team. And so they usually play much better. And if we take this principle, it's the same for us. The scriptures say God is always with us. He, and so... Because of that, we have home court advantage all the time because we have the Lord God with us, cheering us on to follow Him. Even when we stumble, when we fail, when we make mistakes, horrible mistakes, He's there cheering us, picking us back up, and, and encouraging us to go on with His love that is given freely to us. The second obstacle that we have here is that prevents our love for God and for others is uh, fear. And the first was insecurity. And now we hear fear is the second obstacle. We see this in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear comes when we think something will bad, something bad will happen to us. But God's love, is to, it drives out the fear in our hearts and in our minds. We no longer need to fear death or God's judgment because we follow Him and His love is in us, giving us confidence and rest. His love is for us is made possible because uh, the punishment was that we deserve was given to His Son, Jesus Christ. And so our, we are no longer going to be condemned and punished. And you see, God's love demonstrated in Christ then drives out the fear because we no longer will receive punishment. We have nothing to fear because the love God has for us in Jesus Christ. And the more we know this love that God has for us, the more confidence we have in this truth and we rely on this truth and therefore, the more we will love one another in His name and for His glory. So, insecurity, fear, these are two obstacles for us to love God and to love others. The third obstacle mentioned in our text that prevents our love for God and one another is hate. Verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Hate and love do not go together. How can we say we love God when we hate our brother or sister uh, or take revenge on them? You know, the love of God cannot exist 
in our hearts and minds along with hate of others. It just can't work together. We are lying in both in word and action if we hate our brother and sister and yet we say we love God. God's gift of love is not in our hearts at this time. And especially if we have this habit of life, as you know in 1 John, this is not talking about a one-time instance, but it's an ongoing habit of life of hate the love of God is not in our hearts. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hate is a big obstacle in our hearts, preventing God's love flowing through us to others. So this brings us to the reason of why love one another. Why love one another? Well, the text here gives us two reasons. The first is because God loved us first. Very practical. Verse 11 shows us this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And again in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. God's love is a gift, undeserved. And and He's graciously given this to mankind, and He wants us to love each other on earth in the same way as a gift we give. We often forget that God chose to love us when we didn't love Him. We rebelled against Him, and He still loved us. And He gives His love at great cost as a gift to us to be received or rejected. Now, this command to love one another applies to followers of Jesus here in this context because John is writing to Christians. But it falls under the umbrella of Jesus' broader command to love our neighbor as ourself, which is the second greatest commandment. The greatest commandment being to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, meaning to love Him exclusively. And these commands are in Matthew 22. See, God desires that we love people as a gift of grace to them without expecting anything back. Uh, There's an illustration of this that happened in January 2nd, 2007, when Wesley Autry was waiting for a train on the 137th Street and Broadway station in Manhattan with his two young daughters. And around 12.45 p.m., he and two women noticed a young man named Cameron Hollopeter having a seizure. So Autry knew something, and he borrowed a pen from somebody and he used it to keep Hollow Peter's jaw open during the seizure. Following the seizure, Hollow Peter got up and stumbled from the platform onto the tracks of the subway. And as Hollow Peter lay on the tracks, Autry saw the lights of an oncoming train coming. And so as one of the women held Autry's daughters uh, to, away from the edge of the platform, Autry jumped onto the, the tracks where Holopeter was, and he was thinking he had time to drag Holopeter out of the way and get him out of the way of the train. But then he realized he didn't have enough time. So he quickly took a Holopeter and threw him into this drainage trench in between the tracks and jumped on top of him to cover him with his own body. And the uh, train director saw these people on the tracks and he slammed on his brakes, but he couldn't stop in time. And so 
all the cars passed over these two men, except for the last two cars. So they stopped on top of these two men. And they passed over Atri so closely that it was brushing against his blue cap and leaving grease marks on his stocking cap that he was wearing. Well, when the trains stopped and Autry realized both of them were fine, they were okay, he yelled to the shocked onlookers uh, on the subway platform, and he says, we're okay down here, but I've got two daughters up there. Let them know their father's okay. And applause broke out because the crowd was amazed at this showing of courage and love from this guy, uh, Autry. And Wesley Autry risked his life to help this poor man uh, who didn't even know before that moment. This is like the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan and Luke, chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. It's so, such a good story. I'm going to read it for us now. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave, it to, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for what any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The man beaten and robbed was most likely a Jewish man because he was leaving Jerusalem. And while the religious leaders of that day, the priest and the Levite, walked by this helpless man in need, the Samaritan had pity on him and helped him. Now, it cost the Samaritan to help this man. It cost him money, cost him time. It cost, uh, it was inconvenient for him because the Samaritan obviously was going somewhere. He had a destination but he had to change his plans. And so the Samaritan helped this Jewish man, not expecting anything in return. Not only that, but the Samaritan helped a man who probably despised the fact that he was a Samaritan because there was this uh, ethnic racism going on at that point between Samaritans and Jews. The Samaritan's act of love was a gift freely given with no strings attached. Nothing expected to come back to him in return. And it was at a great cost to himself. God loved us at great cost to himself. He reached out to us who are desperate in need of salvation from the hell that we deserve to receive because of our sinful rebellion against God. Our motivation to love one another comes from the love that God has shown to us, the gift of love, the the gift of love that is freely given to people who don't deserve it. The love that comes from God flows through us and to others around us.
And when we love God, we become like this funnel that receives the love of God and then goes through us to others. The second reason why we are to love one another, we see here, is that it is how God reveals himself to the world. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We are the body of Christ on earth. We each are different parts of this body that work together and for the glory of God. And if we do not, if we are unable to work together because we can't get along and we don't love each other, then the body breaks apart and we can't do the work that God has for us in the way he wants us to. But when Christians really love one another, then it is a powerful witness to the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. For example, I was drawn to follow Christ more seriously um, when I was in middle school because of the acts of my and the acts of love that my brother Mike showed me. He is six years older than I am. I was in middle school; I was probably around twelve years old, and we shared a bedroom. Um, we had four kids and only two bedrooms for the kids, so my parents had made this dividing temporary um, dividing wall in our bedroom so that. Mike could have his privacy and I could have my privacy, probably more so for him. And uh, I remember that he uh, approached me and he, um, first year in college, asking his 12-year-old, 13-year-old uh, brother uh, to share a room with him, to take down this barrier wall and said, hey, you want to just share the room together? I was thrilled to think that my older brother wanted to be with me. And during those years together, uh, he, I really grew in the Lord because Mike invited me into his life. So much so, I remember one time uh, he invited me on a date with him because this girl he was dating had a sister who was my age. So the four of us went bowling together. I was so um, proud of, the, of this fact. I was so thrilled that I bragged about this to all my friends at the time that I went on a date, double date with my big brother. Uh, but meanwhile, during these years, Mike encouraged me to follow Jesus more seriously through his model of him following Christ and through his love and care for me uh, and his patience with me. My love for Jesus grew stronger during those years while sharing that bedroom with my brother Mike. How do you think we look to others if we cannot even get along with other Christians? when we cut each other down or ignore each other. People do not see the presence of God in us. This is a common way that Satan, who's God's enemy, works and tries to work in the body of Christ. He wants us to hold grudges. He wants us to speak against each other, uh, to misunderstand each other, to assume the worst about each other, because this divides the body of Christ. But if we have the love of God flowing in us and through us, we will overcome these things that are bound to happen because we love each other even when the other person does not deserve it or does not even love us back. It is much harder for us to stay angry with each other if just one of the people in conflict demonstrates the love of God toward the other, no matter how hurt how much hurt has been gone on between the two. The divisions in the body of Christ dissolve because of the love of God in us. 
because he loved us when we didn't deserve it. We love each other when we don't deserve it. It's God's love flowing through us. You know, we're like an ongoing movie that people are watching to learn about the Lord God. And if we don't play our part right, they're going to get the wrong message from what they're watching. What do you think we will communicate if we go on a short-term mission trip and we are telling people by our words that, about the love of God through Jesus Christ? But then they observe us and see us as team members arguing and fighting and not being able to get along with each other. Uh, they will not... They will see this divide between the, the message and our actions, and they will not receive the message well, or they'll misunderstand it. They'll see that we're just like the rest of the world who fight with each other. So why love one another? We see here in our text, we love one another because God loved us first, and we love one another because by doing so, God reveals himself to the world. It's part of our witness. I love this story. That illustrates this kind of love. A man and wife had been married for 20 years, and they were talking one day, and the subject of food came up, and the man, the husband, was just sharing how he loved chicken wings cooked a certain way, and um, the wife was totally surprised and said, but I, I thought you liked the legs because you always gave me the wings. And then the man was surprised and said, well, I thought you liked the wings because you always gave me the legs. And what they came to realize after a little more discussion is that they each, out of their love for one another, had been giving away what they liked best to each other all these years. This is an illustration of God's love as a gift to us, undeserved. God calls you and me to love people in this world the people he brings into our lives, especially those who don't deserve it, who irritate us. We are to love them and the, to glorify God himself. How is God moving you to love somebody in your life right now who doesn't deserve it? Let's pray. Father, we know this command to love one another, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, Lord, we, this kind of love is not coming from us. We cannot do this. It is only by your love through Jesus Christ in our hearts, abiding in us, in us, in you, Lord, that we are able to live out what you've called us to do, to make disciples of Jesus, to demonstrate your love on earth as your body. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to transform us as your church to be vessels of your truth and love, which are one and the same, so that the world will know that you sent Jesus as Savior and Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. God bless Cornerstone, and we'll be with you again next week.